Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and happy you're listening. Well, about 10 years ago uh, this month, the world was introduced to a massive, a massive spying operation by the U.S. government, uh, more specifically the NSA and the Department of Defense, um, with respect to uh, communication companies like Verizon, AT&T, and so on and so forth. We, we learned of, of a guy named Edward Snowden and uh, a secret many, many secret programs that he revealed um, to the Guardian newspaper um, and and some of their staff about these programs and how uh, these were violating uh, massive parts of our Constitution. Uh, Glenn Greenwald at the time worked for the Guardian. And uh, the other person in this... Um, interview is a lady named Laura Poydras, and she was a, a video journalist, uh, independent journalist, I believe at the time, and they ended up winning, you know, Pulitzer Prize for this story and everything, and, um, and you know, it, it, it's kind of, I think it's interesting to look back 10 years later and think a little bit about what we've learned and, and what has happened since we found out that the government was spying on everybody, basically. I mean, you know, not just, not just terrorists, you know, that, that was the reason behind having something, um, like, like the NSA had. Um, but clearly, um, it's, it's been used even since then, uh, in, in the Trump's case to spy on a political campaign. It's, uh, it's been used to do all kinds of nefarious things, and so I think it's I think it's worthwhile to look back and see where we are ten years later. And for that, we're going to use uh, Glenn Greenwald himself and his show uh, System Update, which is uh, on Rumble. You can you can get to it on Rumble, and I'll have a, a link in the show notes page um, to this particular episode. Uh, and and also you should probably go listen to the whole thing. It's quite long. We're not going to be able to cover everything. I, I just wanted to clip out some highlights and, and and just expound a little bit on it. This is even though this is a long. Um, this interview is long, and Edward Snowden is also in the interview. Even though the interview is long, this episode is going to be probably a little bit short, uh, just because, uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, I've got a busy week. I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to be out of pocket. And I, I, tr- I want to try to have at least three shows, but in order to do that, they're going to have to be a little bit shorter. So appreciate your patience there. Uh, don't stop sharing the show. Don't stop listening. Uh, but, but give me a little leeway here on the number of episodes this week. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to fire up this uh, uh, system update uh, from Glenn Greenwald, and we'll give let him do an introduction, and then I want to pop in some questions 
uh, and some Edward Snowden commentary uh, a little later on in the episode. We are very excited to present a special episode of System Update. Exactly 10 years ago today, on June 6, 2013, we began publishing what became known as the Snowden Reporting, based on the largest leak of top-secret documents in the history of the U.S. security state. The reporting that ensued over the next several months, and even over the next several years, revealed the mass indiscriminate system of surveillance secretly imposed by the NSA and its so-called Five Eyes Spying Alliance in the UK, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And it became one of the most consequential stories in the history of modern journalism and whistleblowing. The reporting we did won the 2014 Pulitzer Prize for Public Service. The documentary directed by my journalistic colleague, Gora Poitras, showed our work with Snowden in real time in Hong Kong and won the 2015 Academy Award for Best Documentary, which was Snowden trapped by the U.S. government in Russia. We accepted at the side of Snowden's then fiance and now his wife and mother of their two toddlers, Lindsay Mills. The reporting to that led to legislative reforms in multiple countries, including at least to some extent here in the United States. Legislation to impose real curbs on the NSA was co-sponsored by Republican Congressman Justin Amash and Democratic Congressman John Conyers, both in Michigan and was poised to pass in 2013 in the wake of our reporting, would be the first time ever since 9-11 that state powers would be rolled back instead of expanded until the Obama White House and Nancy Pelosi intervened and whipped just enough no votes to defeat it, leading to the headline in the journal Foreign Policy in 2013 that read, quote, how Nancy Pelosi saved the NSA surveillance program. All right, there's an overview from Glenn Greenwald himself, a uh, very central part of this story, um, and um, very consequential story, actually. Uh, to his point, it was, it, was, it, was, uh, it was news that was shocking, really, not just to people in the United States, but allies. You know, I don't know if you remember, but... It was later revealed that we were spying on uh, Angela Merkel and listening to her phone calls. And there were other world leaders that uh, were really uh, took offense to all this. And so um, the natural response would be con- Congress would, you know, roll back some of this authority. Uh, but of course, as he mentioned, uh, Congress did not. Um, Nancy Pelosi was able to rally enough no votes. And uh, Barack Obama probably wouldn't have signed it anyway. If you'll recall, Barack Obama was pretty brutal in his execution of the war on terror. I mean, he launched this whole drone war thing and signed documents that said it was okay to kill Americans overseas um, if they were if it, they were believed to be involved um, on the side of the enemy and things like that. So it was a very, you know. This is a very big deal. Uh, in fact, it was it was one of the biggest deals about it in my mind was just weeks before this was released, um, James Clapper testified before Congress and was asked specifically about NSA spying, and he answered no, and Senator Weidman said no, and he said no, not wittingly. Now, I, I don't, you know, I, I think that's a little bit, I mean, to me, James Clapper lied because, you know, one of the things, and we've talked about this before, 
is when you when you stand up and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, the reason they ask it that way, the reason they make you say that, is because it's not just a specific lie that you can tell, but it's also a lie by omission. And James Clapper lied by omission. He, some would say he lied explicitly, but he also implicitly lied by omission. And, um, and, and this really, in my mind, was the, it was the first time that I had realized that somebody had lied openly in Congress. Now, now, since then, you know, Hillary Clinton's lied, John Brennan's lied. I mean, numerous people have lied. Uh, that Lois Lerner for the IRS lied to, the, uh, to Congress. Um, there's been a lot of lying to Congress since, but the NSA, oh, and the most important thing to mention is you can't lie to the government. You and I cannot lie to the government, but evidently they can lie to us under oath in front of Congress. Um, anyway, so this was, this is a very significant story. And if you haven't seen Citizen Four, I think is what it's called, go watch that documentary. It's very riveting and, 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 you know, it's, it's real footage from when they were getting all this information from Edward Snowden. He was instructing them on how to, um, how to decipher it, what it, what it all meant. Uh, it was very interesting. The consequences of this reporting endured for years and found expression in multiple sectors. It generated appellate court rulings that the NSA domestic surveillance programs, which Snowden enabled us to reveal, were both unconstitutional and illegal direct frontal assaults on the constitutional right to privacy of all Americans. It caused diplomatic breaches between countries, threats to prosecute us for doing this journalism, and calls for our arrest from various corporate media figures, and it left Snowden facing multiple felony charges under the Espionage Act of 1917, and his being stranded for nine years and counting now in a country he never chose to be in. In other words, as so often happens in the U.S., the only person to pay any price for the crimes that were committed here was the person whose heroism enabled those crimes to be uncovered. Tonight, 10 years later, after I first published that article in The Guardian, we will speak to the two people who, along with me, were most responsible for enabling this journalism to happen. Our source for this story, the remarkably heroic Edward Snowden, who knowingly risked his liberty and his life to inform his fellow citizens how the U.S. security state had degraded the internet from what it was always heralded to be, the greatest tool of liberation and empowerment ever created into what it has become, the greatest tool of coercion, monitoring, censorship, and population control ever known. There are a couple things I want to pull out of this segment. You know, the, the mention of appellate court rulings that revealed that the NSA and the government violated our Constitution, violated our individual rights as Americans. I mean, this is huge. I mean... And literally nothing has been done about it. Nothing really. Um, the other thing that, that I want to point out is the fact that he mentions uh, these whistleblowers are, are, appear to be the only ones that get, in, that get in trouble when these secrets are revealed about what our government is doing to us. Nobody in the government ever pays a price. Uh, only people like Edward Snowden or Julian Assange or Chelsea Manning, uh, you know, these are the people that pay a price. 
there's whistleblowers right now that are trying to reveal certain information about Biden and his son and their corruption. There's whistleblowers. I saw the other day, uh, what whistleblower was that? There was a, it was a Ukrainian whistleblower, uh, the, uh, the accountant that has some of this information on Biden uh, died, but then also his wife died, which is weird, died under suspicious circumstances. So, you know, we this is a very dangerous game that people play when they tell on the state, but it, I, I really just don't see any other way to ever hope to put a stop to it. The only the only thing you can do is have these people that are that have a conscience and understand uh, kind of the, our founding, our our historical uh, uh, past, our 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 founding um, principles, things like that, and that have a conscience. You know, I mean, I think all we can do is hope that these people come forward and are safe in doing so. Um, and that eventually, you know, people will get outraged enough that something will happen. But I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. When you look at what the NSA uh, captures in the way of telecommunications every day on people, it's, it's a staggering amount of data. And I remember when a lot of this first came out, it was, it was oh, it's just metadata. It's just metadata. Well, you know, again, I mentioned Angela Merkel or Angela Merkel, and there were other heads of state that uh, that it was revealed that there were telephone conversations. This is, uh, you know, people were mad about this, rightly so, uh, but not enough Americans were mad about it. That story revealed, as the first three articles, uh, three paragraphs of the article put it, quote, the NSA is currently collecting the telephone records of millions of U.S. customers of Verizon, one of America's largest telecom providers under a top secret order issued in April. The order, a copy of which has been obtained by The Guardian, requires Verizon on a, quote, ongoing daily basis to give the NSA information on all telephone calls in its system, both within the U.S. and between the U.S. and other countries. The document shows for the first time that under the Obama administration, the communication records of millions of U.S. citizens are being collected indiscriminately and in bulk, regardless of whether they are suspect, uh, suspected of any wrongdoing. That would be the first story of what would be hundreds of reports that came from the archive Snowden provided to us. A vast, gigantic collection of hundreds of thousands, if not more, of top secret documents from an agency so secretive, the NSA, that for years the joke in Washington was that it stood for no such agency. That first article was quickly followed, the next day in fact, by a revelation of the so-called PRISM program, under which the leading big tech companies were turning over massive amounts of user data to the NSA without so much as a warrant. When I hear this kind of stuff, I just think to myself, why do we even have a constitution anymore? I mean, why do we pretend to still prosecute cases or hear cases against the backdrop of this constitution when the when the the major party involved in making uh, this contract is violating it 
you know, indiscriminately. This is this is what I kind of always think about. You know, I I, I watch the news, and I'm in a. It, it, for me, it's just it's bewildering, right? You hear these congressmen on the left and the right invoke the Constitution all the time, and I mean, just if you just li- go back and listen to what he said, that they were this order. This order issued by the government that came as part of these Snowden files was issued to Verizon and presumably AT&T to turn over all this data on a daily basis, on a you know continuous and daily basis to the government. I mean, where is the Fourth Amendment? Where, where's the whole? See, this is one of the problems with the with the Constitution. I I think is the the literal meaning you know the, the the fourth amendment says something like americans should be secure in their papers and private things and you know what we have now is we have um you know this technological war world that we live in and we have all these agencies you know you have the federal communications administration you've got uh, the food and drug administration all these are these are creations by Congress that really are unconstitutional and their activities are unconstitutional, but because they don't specifically violate, you know, certain words of the constitution, just like the federal reserve, you know, the federal reserve act doesn't violate the constitution because it says Congress shall coin money and people take that to mean, print money, be responsible for the creation of credit. I mean, you just make it mean all this other stuff. And, you know, the, 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 I think that's part of the, part of the problem that this strict constructionist kind of reading of the constitution creates. It creates a, well, the constitution doesn't say it. Yeah. But I mean, these, these are principles, right? When you, when you're talking about having the right to coin money, there's a principle underlying there, right? It, 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 it deals with the production of money. Uh, and I've said this on the show before, but, you know, uh, currency was not a new thing when the United States government was being created. The United States of America was being created. And so the, the, even the understanding at the time uh you know, it was clear that we weren't talking about currency. And yet here we have this, you know, this currency creation by the government. So I don't know. I just, I just wonder why we still pretend to act like this is something that we're actually living under this constitution. We're, we're not living under this constitution. Uh, not, not even in spirit. Not in actuality, not in spirit, not in any way that I can think of other than rhetorically. You know, people invoke it with rhetoric constantly, but it, it has no teeth, it has no, um, the people, unless the people are willing to enforce it, there's, there's nothing, you know, there is no enforcement mechanism. There's no structural enforcement mechanism of the Fourth Amendment. If the executive branch of the U.S. government wants to violate the Fourth Amendment, it just does it. 
It doesn't ask anybody. It doesn't go to court. It just does it. Now, though Sorkin ended up apologizing for that, that mentality was very much the prevailing ethos in establishment Washington at the time, that this leak was the most harmful one ever, and it was, but not to the security of the American people, but to those who had implemented this illegal and unconstitutional spying system to impose surveillance on all Americans. And their view was, all those responsible for the revelations of those crimes, but not the crimes themselves, must pay. In 2021, three Yahoo News journalists, including Michael Isikoff, reported that agents of the CIA had plotted to assassinate Julian Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. As part of that reporting, he, they also revealed that officials during the Obama administration had aggressively explored how to criminalize Assange, Poitras, and myself. Indeed, as the ongoing imprisonment of Julian Assange demonstrates, there is a free press in the United States. Only for those journalists who serve the United States and establish the U.S. security state and establishment power, not for those who subvert it, undermine, and expose it. The Snowden story and its reporting is typically remembered for what it revealed about privacy and surveillance. And for sure, that was a big part of the story. But it was also about the role of transparency and journalism and democracy. The reporting revealed, above all else, that the U.S. government, completely in the dark and with no democratic debate, indeed unbeknownst to many members of Congress, converted the Internet into a pervasive system of indiscriminate mass surveillance aimed in mass at the American people, exactly what the Constitution was designed to prevent. We see this now, um, you know, with this leak, and I, uh, Jack Tessera, I think the guy's name was, you know, the criticism in the media is, you know, it's all about the leaker. It's, it's, if there is any criticism, it's about, um, the, the government's ability to hang on to secrets as if secrets are good. Um, it's, it's really not at the government itself, uh, or whether or not the government should be doing it. It's all about, oh, this guy, Jack to Sarah, he's an enemy of the state. You know, these secrets are not for public consumption. How we had Anthony Blinken, Blinken, excuse me, say as much from the White House briefing room at the podium. He basically said that that these these types of secrets are not for public consumption. See, I, I you know, what what is the purpose of these secrets? They're not keeping us safe. That's just mythology. And we really, this is really where we need help from the media, you know, to push back, to ask the right questions, to act in accordance with principles of the Constitution. Because otherwise it doesn't really matter if the government violates the Constitution. And, you know, this leak was maybe the only exception uh, would be Daniel Ellsberg's Pentagon Papers leak and uh, the WikiLeaks uh, leak from Chelsea Manning in 2010. But I think this really was on a different level because it was the most significant leak of the most sensitive materials from the most secretive agency within the world's most powerful government. And to say that they were you know, in a panic over it, that they were desperate, I mean, the thing that I always go back and think about is that they thought that when Eva Morales, the then president of Bolivia, had traveled to Russia, just like on a hunch, they thought he may have somehow picked up Snowden and was trying to take him back to 
Bolivia and they forced his plane the president of a sovereign country down over European airspace in a very dangerous way just on the mere hunch that Ed might have been on that plane, just reflecting how kind of unhinged and deranged they were. And we never really knew what they were attempting to do, what they were capable of doing. We all know what the U.S. government is willing to do. And I think the fact that, as you said, Laura, you and I both kind of only had one small part of our foot in the world of corporate journalism, but everything else was always very outsider, made us very you know, unique and juicy targets for them wanting to set a precedent of prosecuting actual journalists under the Espionage Act, the kind of red line that they had never crossed until they brought that case against Julian. So, Man, can you believe this? I didn't actually know about this, but the government of the United States forced the a plane with the president of a sovereign country flying on it back from Russia because they thought Edward Snowden might be on it. I mean, that is incredibly arrogant and dangerous and I don't know what I I mean, I'm just I, I hardly know what to say about it other than this is how serious they are about these secrets. And, you know, they're not going to give this power up uh, easily. They're not, they're not going to go willing willingly into that good night, you know. Um, there's going to have to be a massive movement in this country to, to take away this power that, uh, that the government has uh, co-opted from the people. The, the, this amount of liberty, we never agreed to give up this amount of liberty so that they could keep secrets and run roughshod and uh, control the world, control the American people uh, with all these secrets. I mean, this is just something we're eventually going to have to come to grips with. Um, the, I, just, I just don't think it can continue. There's too many people willing to use this information uh, for nefarious purposes. With all those options, why did you choose the option that you did choose, which was to work with journalists, but kind of very outsider journalists? Um, and what did you hope to achieve or what were you trying to avoid with that choice? Well, I mean, one of the reasons that I, I picked you specifically was the criticism of uh, the New York Times handling of previous leaks. Uh, we had major institutional newspapers that had been far too accommodating to the Bush administration. Um, and its abuses of secrecy. And when we saw in the context of uh, the WikiLeaks, uh, Cablegate and the Iraq war logs, and how the government uh, responded to that initially, and how the media at first was very, you know, championing and, and open, uh, welcoming to these disclosures, and the courage of Chelsea Manning in, in that uh, circumstance, uh, and how that changed over time. Uh, and I was very concerned, particularly given the fact uh, that these were documents uh, from an agency revealing serious crimes against both the American and the global public. Um, I knew the government was going to lean extremely heavily 
uh, on the newspapers in a way that was unprecedented. We actually saw this bear out, uh, where in, in Britain, uh, the Guardian, which was one of the possessors of the archive, actually had the British intelligence services come to their newsroom and destroy their computers and the hard drives that they used to process this information, uh, literally grinding them down in the newsrooms. It's documented. Uh, it's, it's just a, a remarkable kind of thing. Uh, I, I had a, a strong suspicion that, that things like that were likely to occur um, if these documents were held by a single newspaper. I was not confident uh, that their editor and their lawyers would be able to reduce uh, or, or sort of uh, resist the pressure that was being placed on them by working with someone like you who had basically previously committed themselves uh, to a critical position. Uh, working with Laura, uh, who was going to, to basically partner with another newspaper, an institutional newspaper, um, but uh, would would basically have that that melding there. And then actually, people forget, but Barton Gelman of the Washington Post, his involvement as the classical institutionalist, uh, really covered the bases in a way that I didn't think the government would be able to shut the story down. And that was the main thing. Like I, if I had just been trying to get away with it. Um, and have my identity not be known, I probably would not have been able to risk working with any journalists at all, as simply because making the contact at the beginning uh, was extraordinarily difficult uh, in technical terms. Uh, and even if I did everything perfectly, uh, the minute a journalist knew something about me, uh, if they mishandled that information uh, through you know, no ill intentions, but simply a lack of technical sophistication uh, against basically the most advanced uh, intelligence agency that have ever existed in history, um, I was going to be cooked. First of all, I just want to say, I think it's so cool that Edward Snowden can be interviewed and it can be published within the United States. Um, I just think that's really cool. Uh, he, he appears from time to time. I don't always catch it, but this guy, you know, look, you, you can't, you can't help but respect his, his level of knowledge. I mean, he knew the government was doing wrong and, and, and the fact that he came forward to tell his fellow citizens and the world makes him a patriot. And I think one of the biggest mistakes Donald Trump made as president is he didn't pardon Edward Snowden, Julian Assange, um, or Chelsea Manning. I mean, you should just pardon all those people. Just drive a stake right through the heart of all this secrecy stuff. I mean, look, the irony of it is he's, he's ensnared himself in all this sneak, uh, secrecy stuff with classified documents and so on and so forth. I mean, he is now going to be prosecuted for the same thing they want to prosecute Edward Snowden for. And this is dangerous stuff. I mean, just listen to what Edward Snowden is talking about, how carefully he selected um, Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poydras, how carefully he, he was when he reached out to contact these people, um, and, and, and how much faith he had to have that they wouldn't screw it up. I mean, he's a pretty technically competent guy, but these reporters, he doesn't know whether they are or not. So, I mean, the guy's just a real patriot, in my opinion. Hopefully you agree. Uh, if not, maybe go out and learn a little bit more about what happened. Go watch Citizen Four. 
And then just look at what all this secrecy has done to our country and and just try to evaluate it in a different light. I think you'll eventually you'll come to the same conclusion that I have is is that all this secrecy is is antithetical to liberty. And uh, in fact, it's it's the worst kind of tyranny because it it happens in the shadows. It happens in secret. So look, if you like this, uh, come back and listen uh, tomorrow. Uh, I'm trying to keep these a little bit short because I've I've got a short week. But uh, come back and listen tomorrow. If you do, I'll be here to do it all over again on Who Gets to Decide.